0: It was my roommate. Oh, okay. He had like run out to do something, but then like set a reminder on his, like he had like an alarm just going off on a loop and I thought I was going crazy, Mm. but I'm not. Mm. Okay. Okay.
1: What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the recording this in America, to me recording this in the Dominican Republic. It's Adam Amoal. Well, just go ahead
0: and brag, why don't you? All right, Shubes, I get it. You got a glamorous (laughs) life, all right? I see see the nice bath towels behind you. You're rich. I understand.
1: If it makes you feel any better, (laughs) one, I'm recording this on... Two couch cushions in a closet. Don't forget the beads. <laughs> with with the, the beaded door. Let's see if we can get some nice ASMR going. <laughs> the closet has a beaded door. And I had to turn off the air conditioner because the air conditioner for the entire hotel room is directly above the closet. Oh, so man. it would be really loud. So I'm quite sticky. Uh, But yes, my friend had a wedding in the Dominican Republic over Memorial Day weekend, and Kelly and I extended the trip, which is very nice. But we've got basketball to discuss, so let's talk about basketball. We do,
0: but I can't even talk about basketball until I address what you just said. It it occurs to me that I need to get some more interesting friends. And I say this with all due respect to my lovely friends, (laughs) but I mean, I've got people getting married in New Jersey and... Goodness gracious. Where else? I, I I need some international weddings in my life. What, what's happening here?
1: So what I have realized with this, because I also did go to a wedding in New Jersey mm-hmm. earlier on this trip. I had two weddings to attend <laughs> over Memorial Day weekend. Maybe you just need to get invited to more Indian weddings because the only two international weddings I've gone to are Indian weddings. Ah. One being the one in India. And then this one, it was Two folks who had such large families that they intentionally did a destination wedding just so that fewer people would attend. <laughs> and even though they did this in the Dominican Republic, there were still like they're injured something people here.
0: <laughs> well, that's the inherent risk, right? It's like if you do it with that mindset, you're also creating a very desirable location for people to go to. So sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't work out that way. Like when the whole office went to Niagara Falls for Jim and Pam's wedding.
1: What a beautiful reference from the man behind Office Rebooted. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. My pet project. Now let's get ready to talk about some basketball. The finals are approaching. That is what most of this episode will be about for a very special segment we're doing. But to prepare for the rest of the stuff we're going to talk about, let's get prepped in the Teal Memorial locker room. The Teal Memorial locker room has air conditioning that's always running, and you don't have to turn it off when recording a podcast because it's So well done that it's quiet. Are there beaded doors? Oh, everywhere. (laughs) Every door. (laughs) Even the shower doors. (laughs) You know who's got beaded doors everywhere? You know, I hope it's our producer-level patrons. It is our producer-level patrons. And those producer-level patrons are Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells, Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Long Suffering Timberwolves, Fan, Roast Beef Debris, Cade the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Borgeli, Weird Questions, Chris Rossi, Mitch Chrysler, Steph Vindaloo for three, Bang, and Mono Ginobili. I was
0: hoping to surprise you with that one. I, I usually send the patron list over to Shubes in our Slack channel, and I, I believe I believe you had put in a request for Steph Vindaloo versus Steph Curry, so.
1: And I do believe I sent that to you at like one thirty in the morning.
0: <laughs> you just sprung out of bed and sent it to me. Yeah.
1: It was one of those wake up in the middle of the night, oh, I have a great idea. <laughs> And I couldn't forget it. So I think I slacked you and very thankfully you have your slack set to not notify you when it's a weird time.
0: I love the idea that you like woke Kelly up springing out of bed
1: and she was like, what (laughs) was so important? And you were like, I can't tell you. I rose from my bed with such a clatter. (laughs) Kelly wondered what was the matter? I thought of a fun pun. Hey, that's, that's reason enough for me. Same. Honestly, same. You know what else would be reason to spring up from our beds in excitement? Probably to say thank you to our
0: sponsors for making this episode possible.
1: Yeah, why don't you tell us about our sponsor?
0: I shall. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, people don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. I actually follow a Twitter account that is a doom scroll alert, and it reminds me to stop doing that. So if you don't have something like That's that- good. I highly recommend doing that. But aside from that, stress does show up in all kinds of ways. We live in a very stressful world. I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't already know. And in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. Every time we have a BetterHelp ad read, I talk about the fact that I have been in therapy before. I'm a big proponent of it. Uh, I recommend it for everyone. Even if you don't feel like you need it at that moment, just to check in, make sure that you are feeling all right. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. So if you are a person in a tank top surrounded by pillows and beaded doors and you still want to (laughs) talk to a therapist, this is your opportunity to do that without showing your face. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. Horse listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com horse. That's betterhel dot horse.
1: So thank you to our sponsor and thank you to Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you're all caught up on horse, you want some new podcasts to listen to during the two-week break in between episodes, there's a whole bunch of lovely podcasts from Multitude that you can listen to. There's some that I work on. There's some that lovely other Multitude folks work on. There is a bountiful harvest of podcasts and you can listen to all of them at multitude.productions.
0: I thought for a second you were going to say during the two-week break between NBA Finals games.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Sometimes it can feel like that, but with that complete, we can get into full core press. Get it? Like the news. Mm-hmm. So for the back half of this episode, Adam and I are going to do a very special three on three draft all about the finals. So rather than talk about the finals, which is going to be between the Warriors and the Celtics, if you are not aware, we're recording this on June 2nd. So right before they begin, but by the time this releases, some games will have taken place. But we're going to talk about some other things in between. Should we try to end on the most fun? Should we start with the the least fun? Yeah, I
0: think let's start with the the kind of larger piece of negative
1: news. Sure. So I think the biggest larger piece of negative news that came out recently would be about Liz Cambage. She is a WNBA star. She was a member of the Australian national team. Didn't end up playing with them in the Olympics because there was some sort of disagreement or was it a mental health issue? Was it personal difference? It was kind of murky, and now it's become very not murky. We'll put a link to this on the episode of but there have been some details of her pre-Olympic outburst revealed, and it's not great. Basically, in a scrimmage between the Australian national team, the women's basketball team prepping for the Olympics, they were playing against the Nigerian team, and Liz Cambage, I believe, is half Australian and half Nigerian and she was saying very rude things to the members of the Nigerian team. At one point, I think she elbowed someone in the head, and then she also said some mean derogatory things, such as telling members of the team to go back to their third world country, and then also calling them monkeys, which is just awful and racist and terrible. And that caused Obviously, a rift between the Australian team and Liz. They didn't want to have someone on their team who was doing things like this. So apparently, there were some issues leading up to this that put them on thin ice, and this was the final straw that led to Liz not playing with the Australian team. The full report has more details, but it's just not great.
0: Now, I do want to say that Liz Cambage has come out with a statement via her Instagram because that's how people make statements these days. Um, That says, uh, and I quote, the incident that took place during the pre-Olympic scrimmage with the Nigerian team was handled privately almost a year ago. I am very disappointed and hurt by the events and accusations that have unfolded in the Australian media. The recount of what took place is inaccurate and misleading. I did not use the racial slur towards the Nigerian team that has been circulating. So take that for whatever you want it to mean. I I don't know. Like Shubes and I were not there, um, but the reports don't look great.
1: Right. And we'll have to see if more information comes out. But this most recent report in the Australian news was the result of Liz taking some shots at the Australian team recently, and then some people on the Australian team saying, okay, if you're going to trash us, we're going to reveal what took place At this scrimmage, because this is just not fair. She was saying something about how being on the LA Sparks, they are caring for her and protecting her in a way that she didn't feel with the Australian team. And I think that's what's disappointing is that from what I had seen from Liz's end before this, it was very much painted as a mental health type situation. Right. And... That is a legitimate reason to have a falling out with a team. We've seen that happen with Ben Simmons. And a lot of times with those situations, you don't really know what's going on. So you don't really want to pry and you can't really act like you know what's happening because you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. But for this to be released and this to potentially be the reason why her and the team parted ways, that's just a whole different situation. And you don't get to file being incredibly hurtful to people as a mental health situation.
0: Right. And and of course, the inherent problem with anything like this is that it undermines all of the very valid mental health issues, right? This is like something across the board where like, we don't need Jesse Smollett inventing uh, a racial incident when there are millions of racial incidents that deserve attention mm-hmm. rather than someone fabricating something. And then that gets to be the example of like, oh, see, all of this is bullshit. Right. It's like, no, it's it's provably not. But now, you know, someone kind of using that as an excuse is undermining very valid issues.
1: Right. So we'll see how this further develops. But like we said, we'll put the link to the article that came out recently on the episode page of Horses.com. Speaking of things that are not the most fun, we'll keep it going here. But there is some news that has come out. There's been updates about it. The Brittany Griner situation, which we talked about recently, for anyone unaware, Brittany Griner is currently still being detained. It's been over 100 days where she's been in Russia. She got initially stopped because she had a little bit of hash oil in her bag. And previously, a lot of people, us included, hadn't been covering the story a lot because the plan was to not bring too much attention to it, whatever the, the strategy there was. But now, as of May 3rd, the US has officially declared her as wrongfully detained. And I think that that has kind of changed the approach that America and also the WNBA is taking to the situation. Now, the WNBA is being much more public about trying to raise awareness for Brittany Griner. They've been putting things on courts and on jerseys and Players have been wearing shirts with Britney Grinder's face on it during the little walk-ups, you know, when people are getting ready to go to the locker room and photographers take a bunch of pictures of their outfits. They're raising more awareness now because the US has clarified and identified this as a wrongful detention, maybe because they believe that the stuff found in her bag was planted or whatever, but now there's talk of taking steps further to try to get her back. Again, we can put links to some articles here, but recently Brittany Griner's wife talked about the situation in an interview. So it's, it's really sad that this has gone on and I cannot imagine what she's going through. And... Yeah.
0: And I mean, even in the best case scenario where she is ultimately returned to America and for all intents and purposes is like, okay, physically, um, when you think about the mental toll that it would take to be in a Russian prison during what's happening in Ukraine and in Russia, it's it's hard to imagine that you would ever be the same person like that. That has to be some pretty serious trauma. And obviously, this is secondary to the health and wellness of Brittany Greiner, but you have to think that very few Americans... American athletes will have a lot of interest in playing in Russia anytime soon. Like, even if you were willing to look past their war crimes, I don't know that any amount of money would be worth the risk of playing in a place where this could happen to someone.
1: No, not at all. And it's really sad. It's a heartbreaking story in general. But Something that is especially sad is that Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle, in a Good Morning America interview, said that she and Brittany have not verbally communicated in over 100 days because Britney's phone was taken away pretty quickly after wow. she was taken into custody. And the only thing they've done is had a, quote, sporadic exchange of letters. Jeez. So. I I don't know. I can't imagine not being able to talk with my wife, Kelly, for a couple of days, but over 100, and all you get is some letters.
0: Yeah, probably which are being read by whomever is passing them from place to place and maybe not passing along certain letters depending on what they say.
1: Yeah. So again, this is another situation that we'll continue to follow and we'll continue to see how it develops, but really just wishing Brittany all the best and hopefully they can figure something out and get her back home quickly and safely. So, before we get into our final bit of news, let's just briefly touch on the NBA finals and how the conference finals finished up. Basically, Warriors stomped the Mavericks, and the Celtics and the Heat had a very dramatic, intense Eastern Conference finals, and Jimmy Butler put up some ridiculous numbers in the final two games, but fell just short. Very, very dramatic series for them, not so dramatic for the Warriors.
0: Right. I mean, for anyone who followed last year's NBA playoffs, I would say that this year's Mavericks were kind of similar to last year's Hawks, where they got to the conference finals in a way that no one expected they would. But then by the time they got there, they had kind of expended most of their energy and were just not as good of a team as the team they were facing. So, yeah, it was a pretty pretty easy series for the Warriors Uh, As for the Heat-Celtics series, it was frustrating because despite going seven games, not many of the games were particularly close, Um, and we'll talk about this more. I'm I'm certainly hoping the finals are more interesting than a lot of the playoffs that we've seen to this point, but in game seven specifically, the Celtics were essentially winning all game. I mean, it was set up to be a a wire-to-wire victory, and then in the final few minutes, the Heat made this furious comeback. I think they were down by, I don't know, 12, 13 points, went on an 11-0 run. And with less than a minute left, Jimmy Butler had a wide open three with the Heat down by two that if he had made it, they go up by one and then who knows what happens. And I mean, think of where that ends up in the basketball lore, but uh, alas, it was not to be. The Celtics won game seven on the road, which is never an easy thing to do. And I guess if there's any justice to it, I don't know how you felt about this or if you got to watch game six, There was a lot of chatter on NBA Twitter and that sort of thing where people were like, kind of seem like the NBA really wanted a game seven here. I have some questions about the officiating against the Celtics in the fourth quarter. Did
1: you see it that way? Do you think that was just people crying about calls? I think so. So I was fortunate enough to watch game six from our hotel in New Jersey with my parents, got back from the rehearsal dinner with enough time to watch most of the fourth quarter. And they were calling a lot of fouls. I didn't feel like it was particularly one directional, like it was mostly against the Celtics or the Heat. I think they were just calling a lot of fouls. But those two teams play very physical defense, so I get it. It was a very fun game. Jimmy Butler played really well. So I, I don't think that there was any sort of fix. Like, of course, the NBA would love a game seven, but it didn't feel so egregious right. to me that that I raised red flags. Now game seven, I was not able to watch any of it. So all I was doing was looking at my phone and seeing what the score was. And the Celtics were winning by 15 with like two minutes left or something. And then for it to get to the point where the heat almost won the game on that Jimmy Butler shot is just wild. Would have been an all-time collapse. And If Jimmy Butler made the shot, like you said, that would have been an all-time shot by Jimmy. I still support him taking that shot. I know that there was discourse around the shot of, should he have gone for a two instead of a three? The dude played every minute of the game. He played every single minute. So I can understand not wanting to go for the tie. And he was open. So I say, go for it. I think that all of the discourse around it was very silly. Anyone trying to blame it on Jimmy's ridiculous? Because without Jimmy's out of body performances in games six and seven, recently coming off of injury, the Heat are nowhere near in contention without his performance. So I think he has earned the right to take that shot and if he had made it everyone would have called him the greatest basketball player genius of all time for taking it and everyone would have said oh so smart of him to take the 3 because everyone assumed he would go for the layup so right a lot of a uh, lot of monday morning quarterbacking as it were totally totally so it's disappointing i definitely wanted the heat to win i wanted to see nba champion jimmy butler but i think even though he isn't going to get a ring out of this I think his performances in games six and seven truly are cementing him as like an all-time playoff player, someone who can really bring it in the clutch moments. And yeah, people might point out that he didn't have as good of games earlier in the series, but- I think he was really hurting from his injuries. And then when it came time to being on the brink of elimination, if you lose game six, you go home. If you lose game seven, you go home. Jimmy Butler said, all right, laying it all on the line here for these games. And he really did. And it was very close. There was also a very dramatic... Max Struess Mm three-pointer that got deleted because they said his foot was on the line. And I don't know if it was or not. I feel like it was weird that they did that. I feel like it has to be 100% certain in order to do that. And they replay reviewed it after the fact, and they said that they believed his heel was out of bounds at some point, so the shot wasn't Mm -hmm. valid. That's a huge swing, especially given that if you have three more points you're not taking a shot down two to maybe win the game. You are already up by one. Right. So it it obviously would butterfly affect the whole thing. But I just found that to be very confusing. And if you wanted to point to anything as some sort of ref hubbub, I feel like that is the more egregious thing than the foul calls. Because the NBA certainly is more invested in the Celtics being in the finals than the Heat being in the finals. Because the Celtics have not been in the finals in – a lot longer of time. I think that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are more popular, probably with the younger crowd as well. Having the narrative around Celtics Warriors is more exciting than Heat Warriors because I don't know the Heat just aren't for whatever reason deemed as as fun by the media. Like the Heat were in first place for a bunch of the season and nobody cared. Right. So. If, if you wanted to point to anything, you could do that. I don't think that it's necessarily some sort of from on high, we got to screw over the heat thing. I just found it weird to overturn that call when it wasn't super clear cut.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing about Jimmy Butler is that in the modern NBA where there's so much load management and so many times where guys are taking games off or they're playing limited minutes, it is kind of cool to see someone who grinds it out the way that Butler does. And you know, it speaks to our last episode where we talked about uh, Jimmy Butler's backstory and and the kind of upbringing he comes from. You know, I used to criticize former Bulls coach, current Knicks coach Tom Thibodeau for playing Butler the amount that he did. But frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if Butler was the one insisting on that. It's like, uh, you know, when when the manager comes out to uh, take a pitcher out of a game, baseball reference, and hey. uh, and the pitcher just will not come out of the game. Like I feel like Butler has that kind of grit
1: to him. But totally, and we saw Jimmy Butler lay it all out in the bubble. That iconic photo of him resting yeah. over the the side of the bubble barrier or whatever you want to call it. And now this again, he's truly cemented himself as an all-time playoff player. And it's sad that he wasn't able to get to the finals, but who knows? Maybe he can make it happen next year. They had a bunch of injuries- with Kyle Lowry and Tyler Hero. It's unfortunate that injuries are kind of becoming the tale of these playoffs. You had the Chris Middleton injury for the Bucks. You had the Heat injuries, at least maybe just the Eastern Conference, but injuries are never fun, and it sucks to play the what-if game because of them. Yeah. I don't know. It, it happens every year. You got to have luck to get to the finals, and the Celtics had a combination of luck and skill, but they also had to deal with injuries. Marcus Smart didn't play every game. Right. so... Yeah, and, and credit to both teams. I don't
0: think you or I thought the Celtics or Warriors would be in the finals even at the beginning of the playoffs let alone the beginning of the season. So, the Celtics in particular, I think everybody underestimated them. As anyone who's been following the playoffs will recall, there was a lot of talk around who was going to draw the Brooklyn Nets in the first round because it was like, "Oh, well, Kyrie didn't play for most of the year and now they've fallen into the 7 seed and that's going to be, you know, a, a first round exit for one of the top teams in the East because the Nets are going to be so great." And then the Celtics came out in the first round and absolutely beat the shit out of them. I mean, they uh, the first game was was very close and they went on a buzzer beater, but after that they just dominated the the Nets for four games and myself included, I don't think anyone really saw that coming. I thought that it actually might have been foolish for the Celtics to not try to like back their way into the third seed. Cause I don't know, I would have rather played my Bulls than the Nets, but as it turns out,
1: didn't matter that much. Yeah the Celtics and the Warriors are an interesting tale in that the Warriors were basically the best team in the NBA for the beginning of the year. And the Celtics have been the best team in the NBA since January. I think if you look at some sort of late January date, if you go to the advanced metrics, which we won't get into because this is horse, they were (laughs) the number one team and they just had that momentum. And that's what led to you kicking my butt in fantasy Mm -hmm. basketball is Jason Tatum just turned into a supernova. So I remember not being too surprised. I knew that there was a chance like if the Celtics keep this momentum up, they could do it. But it's always one of those questions late in the season of, is the team really this good going into the playoffs? Or are they just playing a bunch of teams that are maybe not trying to win a lot of games towards the end of the year. It's always hard to tell if a, if a late season run is legitimate or not. And I think the Celtics have proven that that is legitimate. So they have made it into the finals. We will be talking more about this for the final half of the episode. But before we get into there, the final bit of news in full court press is that the And One Mixtape Tour has a documentary out now called The Greatest Mixtape Ever. And it is a documentary about the And One Streetball Mixtape Tour, its cultural significance, how music played a factor in it. I have not watched it yet. I've just seen some clips of it. But for anyone who isn't aware of it. Were you a big and one mixtape tour guy? Huge, Were, okay. huge, huge. How about yeah. you explain to the folks at home that might not know what this is? So
0: I would have to, I'm sure the documentary will fill you in on this, but I guess it would have been around like late 90s, early 2000s. There was this real movement towards streetball, meaning a, a version of basketball that is a little looser with the rules, right? You can certainly carry the ball. You can do some some funny stuff. You can do these wild crossovers. And basically it's more about pizzazz. And flash than it is necessarily basketball. But also the people who were playing were incredibly good at basketball. Like most of these people had played in college at some point, they played at fairly high levels. And the And one Mixtape, it I believe originally aired on ESPN2. And at the time where I was at my peak of, of loving basketball, I remember coming home from school almost every day, and I would flip on the TV. And at like 3:30 in the afternoon, And one Mixape would be on. And the tour, they had a group of players who were already established. But then they would do these open runs where they would go to a different city every week. They would play a game on some like park in the middle of nowhere. And whoever was the best player from that game got to play with them in like an NBA stadium that night. And it was incredibly cool. And for anyone who follows this dude on Instagram, you may have heard of of the professor. Basically like the the white Jason Williams, but a streetball player, like incredibly flashy guy, amazing dribbler, amazing ball handler. And this dude was so good that he made it through the whole season and got on the N1 mixtape. So I'm very excited to see the documentary because I do have a very soft spot for the N1 mixtape. And uh,
1: I I can't wait. I like that you said he was the white Jason Williams, even though Jason Williams is white.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. But there was a black Jason Williams.
1: Uh, okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> the one who, yes, you know, There you go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You are clarifying that he is similar to white man, Jason Williams, not saying he's the white version of Jason. Yes, Williams. correct. 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 <laughs> Now, weirdly, I heard that the professor who was a very famous and one member is not in the documentary. That seems like a strange omission. Yeah. Maybe it was one of those, they didn't offer him enough money, so he said no, and then they came to an impasse or something, but I also was very into the and one mixtape tour. They used to play it like on MTV2 or something, (laughs) it would be on those kind of channels. And there were video games about it. Like, those streetball players definitely inspired things like NBA Street and NBA Street Volume 2, which everyone is very familiar with. But I had a basketball game called Street Hoops, which was explicitly just about the And One Mixtape Tour. And I used to play it with my buddy Josh all the time. And that was exactly like the And One Mixtape Tour in that you had all And One players, and you would go from city to city, and you would acquire players from the team that you beat. If you beat yeah, a team, you can yeah, take yeah, yeah. the best player onto your team. And all these guys like Hot Sauce and Half Man, Half Hot Amazing sizzle. Hot and sizzle. Speedy, all these guys were in the game and they had custom moves and they would do cool dunks and cool crossovers. There was a guy
0: who did a 720.
1: He did two full spins yes. in the air truly ridiculous. So I'm intrigued to watch the documentary just because I was young enough where I didn't really know everything that was going on, but I definitely enjoyed watching them. I definitely enjoyed trying to mimic some of their moves. This is the inspiration behind, I think, which we covered in the Mother's Day episode, how one time I practiced an and one mixtape tour move (laughs) on my mom and tried to do the thing where you bounce it off of someone's forehead ridiculous decision by a nine-year-old makeshuber, <laughs> but I really like the And One mixtape tour. It, it was so interesting because And One is a basketball term, so if you go for a shot and you get fouled and you make it, it's called an And One. It's one of the coolest things you can do in basketball because you get the extra free throw. It's a very badass thing. And And One was a basketball clothing brand that I think is maybe defunct now or one of those things where... No,
0: it still, it still exists, but it's just not it's not as popular as it was. And yeah. one of the biggest people to wear And One was Vin Carter. So if you see that famous dunk contest footage of Vince Carter, he's wearing and ones and they were huge, huge, huge in the basketball space. Like I I feel like there was a period of time where those were the shoes to have more than even Nikes or Adidas or whatever. And to your point about (laughs) throwing a basketball in your mom's face, it did have the influence of inspiring a generation of basketball players to get called for travels during normal basketball games.
1: Yeah, there were a lot of funky moves that would make for bad basketball habits. I know there were some fun ones that I would practice. There was one where you could take the ball and put it inside your shirt yeah. and then smack it around and then it would go around your waist. That was always a fun one. But yeah, and one, it was just everywhere. They had shoes, they had these shirts. Their logo was this like muscular mannequin guy mm-hmm. with no face. And then they would have all these shirts where it would just be like trash talk on a shirt. Yeah. Basically, it would have some sort of art and imagery. And it's so funny because it was just a perfect pairing of a brand with an entity because it just made so much sense where the two just became synonymous. And it's weird for us to always refer to it as the N1 mixtape tour Whereas, I don't know, we don't really call it the Kia MVP trophy, even though that's the partnership now in the NBA, but for Andwan and the mixtape tour, it just made so much sense. And they had physical VHS mixtapes that you could- by with highlights of all the stuff and all the ridiculous plays that people would do.
0: My favorite thing of and one mixtape was when someone would like cross someone over and then just launch the ball into the stands. Like, oh
1: yeah, the game would just stop. Not
0: even take a shot, not finish the move. Yeah. It, people would just run onto the court. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. And you would also have an MC narrating mm-hmm. the whole game and usually just hyping up the and one mixtape toward people and trashing anyone else that was in attendance. Yes. Yeah. It was wild. Just ridiculous stuff. I'm excited to watch a documentary. One clip that I did see that I think is very funny is for this documentary, they interviewed NBA players and they got to the point where they asked NBA players, what did you think of streetball players thinking that they can make it into the NBA? Because basically none of them did, except for one skip to my Lou. Ray for Alston. Ray for Alston, thank you. He ended up making it into the NBA and he was pretty solid. Wasn't an all-time player, wasn't an all-star by any means, but he was good had a good career. These players, they were very talented and skilled, but to be an NBA player is just like a different class of athlete. Totally. In terms of physicality, skill, all that kind of stuff. That's why when people challenge Brian Scalabrini to one-on-one, they get destroyed because the worst NBA player is still better than anyone you've ever played basketball against in your life.
0: Completely. Uh, Although I believe I've mentioned this to you before, but did you know that Escalade, may he rest in peace, was Mark Jackson's brother?
1: I did not know that. So Mark
0: Jackson, uh, former Nick's player, current commentator, who you may know for his iconic phrase, hand down, man down, his brother. I don't even know the guy's actual name, but he went by Escalade, and he was called Escalade because he was the size of a Cadillac Escalade. I mean, this guy was a massive mm-hmm. human being, like must have been, I don't know, six, eight, four hundred pounds, but the best handles. Like it was, it almost like didn't make sense when your brain watched this guy dribble because he was so large, but he would play like a point guard. It was awesome.
1: Yeah, ridiculous stuff. So in this clip where they're asking NBA players, and we'll put a link to it at the episode page of horsehoops.com. In this clip, they ask NBA players, do you think that any street ballers could have made it in the NBA? And they all just laugh. But the funniest quote came from Amon Shumpert. And he was talking about Hot Sauce, who is one of the most famous, if not the most famous and one guy, had ridiculous dribbling moves. And he's even now, or at least he was a fixture at Atlanta Hawks games where it was one of those in-between-quarters things where hot sauce would try to score on you or something, and if you were able to not fall over, you win money. Something ridiculous. That's hilarious. I love it. Very talented in terms of basketball skill, but Amon Shumper said he came to some open runner or whatever. He said, yeah, everyone was calling him hot sauce, but then they were destroying him. He said he came in as hot sauce. He left as ketchup. That's... <laughs> phenomenal (laughs) we'll put a link to that clip up but yeah excited for that documentary going to be some absurd stuff i have no idea what all it'll cover but it should be a fun time cool one two three three two one three on three so now with our extended full core press complete we can get into our three on three draft where we are going to be picking three things that we are both looking forward to or anticipating seeing happen in the finals. Wanted to keep it open-ended, but since we're recording this before the finals begin, we just thought it would be fun to have some sort of thing to say, hey, if you want to look for some stuff in the near future in the basketball space that isn't necessarily sport-related, here's what we've got. So, Adam, why don't you hit me with your first
0: thing? Oh, we're not even going to do an RPS to see who goes first?
1: Okay, we, yeah, we can rock papers scissors let's go all right let's do it all right rock Rock, paper paper, scissors scissors, shoot shoot. oh you got me i went paper all right so i will go first
0: after all uh and a heads up to our patrons we will be doing an audio five on five so we'll have a few uh extra audio clips about things we're excited about on the patreon uh this is tough so i'm gonna say first thing that i'm looking forward to lockdown defense versus high powered offense Okay. So in seven games in their previous series, the Boston Celtics held the Miami Heat to an average of just under 100 points per game. It was like 99.7 points. And I know as I'm saying this, any NBA fans over the age of 40 are vomiting in their mouths Mm -hmm. to think that under 100 points is good defensively, Uh, but it is in the modern NBA. That's very good. Conversely, in their five-game series win over the Mavericks, the Warriors scored an average of 115.2 points per game. So the overall question I have here is what gives, right? Like there's, there's all these cliches like, you know, a, a good a good offense always beats a good defense or whatever the trite platitudes may be. And I'm very curious to see how that will play out.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. As we talked about in the last episode, we were saying how the Warriors and the Mavericks was all offense, 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 and the Heat and the Celtics were all defense, defense, defense. So to see those clash, it's kind of like the basketball version of the unstoppable force versus the immovable object kind of thing. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. So I think that that is a very good selection. Good. And what do you have for number one? So my number one is the joy of Clay Thompson, because mm. I think Clay Thompson is one of the few people in the NBA. It's one of the few things in basketball that I feel like everyone universally likes this dude. Yeah, I don't really know of anyone that dislikes Klay Thompson. I know of one guy who kind of does, but it's more of he's angry that the Warriors kept beating the Rockets when they were really good with James Harden in the Western Conference Finals. So I don't think he actually dislikes Klay. I think it's just all things Warriors. Is this person Chris Chan? It is not Chris Chan. Oh, It is not our Rockets friend, Chris Chan. It's one of my buddies from College Grant. But I don't think he actually dislikes Clay. I think he just dislikes anything Warriors related. Fair enough. So it's not a particular specific Clay beef. But Clay is just such a lovable dude. And his injury history over the past two years, where he tore his ACL in the finals in a game where he was playing really well, still shot the free throws, wanted to play, which was wild. And for them to not win that game and then not win the finals, that was really sad. And then missed a whole season. Worked to get his health back and then ruptured his Achilles right before the next season was supposed to start. Just devastating. Missed basically two full years and then some. Didn't play the first couple of months in this season. For him to be back is awesome. For him to be playing well is really good because even when he came back, he wasn't great and there was all this stuff of, oh no, is he going to be able to bounce back? So he's had some good games in the playoffs and he's just such a happy, positive dude. Recently, there was some interview he did in between the Western Conference Finals and the Finals where he said the injuries just changed his mindset to where he knows that at any moment, a wrong jump or a wrong lunge could result in the injury. So He's just trying to take joy in every part of the process. Just such a positive, uplifting dude with a good mindset and a good heart. And I would love for him to play really well because it's just a really phenomenal story for him to have worked so hard to get back to the point where he can play competitive basketball and be the type of player he was, for him to have success would be great. Easily one of the most, if not the most likable dudes in the league, and he's a nice guy, and I want good things to happen to nice people.
0: I completely agree. And on that note, um, for my second pick in our three-on-three draft, I'm going to stick with the theme of perseverance uh, and tell you that one of the things I am most looking forward to is Gary Payton II getting a shot to play in the NBA Finals. Um, So for some context here, and honestly, like we should probably do that actually happened just on Gary Payton II. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like talk about perseverance. So as much as nepotism might get you a shot, like... Gary, if you don't know, Gary Payton II's dad is Hall of Famer Gary Payton Sr. You still have to prove yourself in the NBA. And all you need to do is go to Gary Payton II's Wikipedia page to see his journey. So pay attention here. He started out playing at community college before transferring to Oregon State. But since 2016, when he was undrafted, he played for the G League's Rio Grande Valley Vipers, then the Milwaukee Bucks, then the Los Angeles Lakers, then back to the Vipers. Then the Washington Wizards, then back to the G League again with the Vipers, then to a different G League team with the South Bay Lakers, then to the Wizards, then to the Raptors G League team, and finally signed a 10-day contract with the Warriors that he has very much made the most of and has now turned into an extremely valuable part of the team. And after all of that, after finally getting his shot, Dylan Brooks of the Memphis Grizzlies, in what can only be described as one of the most dangerous plays I have ever seen, fouled him on a fast break layup causing Peyton to fracture his left elbow. And at that time, the assumption was like, well, clearly he's done for the year. But somehow, it was only like a, I don't know, a little bit over a month healing process, which I still don't fully understand. But all that to say, Gary Payton is listed as questionable for tonight's game one as we record this. Um, but it looks very much like he will play in the series, if not game one tonight. And how do you not root for this guy? I mean, not only has he overcome so much, he also just won the very first Bob Lanier Community Assist Ward because of his work with children with learning disabilities. Like I I don't know how anyone doesn't root for this guy, and I am super excited to see him get a shot on this stage after working his ass off for, I don't know, a decade.
1: Right. What was especially sad about the Dylan Brooks foul that caused Gary Payton's injury is that on top of all of the ruining his good season, maybe he doesn't get to play in the playoffs, et cetera, this was going to be the first offseason where he could really finally sign a big, meaningful contract. and. It was probably going to be one of those things where he didn't get paid a ridiculous amount of money, but certainly by comparison to his previous salaries, especially when you're talking about the G League and stuff, it would have been his first real big payday and he will have earned it.
0: Yeah. A good comparison would be like Jose Alvarado, who I think signed an extension for like three or four years for $30, $40 million, which like in NBA standards, not a lot of money, but in any other standards, like life-changing money.
1: Right. And it was very disheartening At first, when the injury happened, because if it was going to be a really bad injury and he wasn't going to recover well, it was just going to be scary in terms of does this mean the Warriors aren't going to give him another chance? You know, it's always hard to tell if someone's going to be good everywhere, if they just fit within the system. And you can't fault a player for fitting within the system. He found a team where it made sense and his skills were valued. And it doesn't matter if he's not necessarily worth a $5, 10000000 million contract on another team. He was worth that to the Warriors. Mm -hmm. They were going to pay him that. And that was really sad because you've just shown he's had a ridiculous career and he deserves a big payday. It's very good and makes me very happy to see that he seems to be bouncing back relatively quickly. So if he can show in the finals that he's ready to go, he's still a solid player, he can still contribute. That would be awesome, especially for his off-season contract negotiations. Agreed. So for my number two pick in this three on three draft, I'm going to go with the Steph Curry narrative Mm. if he plays well. You'll see, and we've talked about this a lot, there's a whole bunch of narratives in the media, especially when you're talking about top tier players. And I think that some of these narratives are very silly. I find it strange that we can't just appreciate players and we always have to be comparing them and stuff. It's not my cup of tea. However, it does still happen a lot, and I think that Steph Curry doesn't get appreciated for being as good as he is just because he's more unconventional. He's smaller. He shoots a lot of threes. He's not obviously dominant in the way that like a Kevin Durant or a LeBron James is, who are just bigger, stronger, faster, etc. Steph does it more with trickiness and shooting and all this kind of stuff that maybe the people who are leading basketball analysts, like some of the older players, don't appreciate as much. And a big knock against Steph has been that he's never won the finals MVP. So right. He won that first finals with the Warriors, but Andre Iguodala got finals MVP because of the defense he played against LeBron. And then for the other finals that the Warriors won, Kevin Durant was on the team. And Kevin Durant did play really well in those finals and he earned those finals MVPs that he won. So that's kind of been the one thing where... People are always trying to find reasons to discredit players for whatever reason, right? and the one that has been used against Steph Curry is that he hasn't won a finals MVP thing. So they're trying to say, oh, he's a really great regular season player, but he doesn't bring it in the playoffs, blah, 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 blah. If he plays really well in these finals, he will be the obvious choice if the Warriors win to get the finals MVP. And I think that that would be really nice just to silence the Stephen A. Smiths of the world Mm -hmm. and those kind of people who are holding this against him for no good reason. And I think that that would just make me and Steph fans and maybe other basketball fans happy just because I think it's just weird to try to discredit him for not winning this one specific award when he's been so dominant in all these ways and he's clearly one of the greatest players of all time. Absolutely no question. I think it would just be nice to silence some grumpy people if he wins finals MVP. And he won Western Conference finals MVP, so maybe he'll get the actual finals one if the Warriors end up winning.
0: Yes, the the first ever Oscar Robertson conference finals MVP, which I I think that's a good thing. Like in baseball, they've had that for years, like the NLCS or ALCS MVP. Like once you're at that stage, I don't think like, yes, it would be silly to have like a first round MVP. I feel like that might be a little excessive, but yeah, why not? Right. Um, Also, speaking of Stephen A. Smith, uh, I I believe I retweeted it from the Horse Hoops Twitter account at horse underscore hoops, of course, but um, SNL did an amazing sketch with Chris Red as Stephen A. Smith, it was cut for time because SNL, you know, cuts the funniest things usually. It was so good, I like. Jay Farrow, former SNL cast member, had done a very good Stephen A. Smith on Weekend Update many years ago, which I loved. But Chris Red does a great job. He's also in a uh, commercial as Charles Barkley's like angel devil person on his shoulder Mm -hmm. that some people may have seen. So we'll post some links to that. But for anyone who likes funny basketball content, uh, I think you'll enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it was very funny. I saw it and laughed quite a bit. So
0: for my final pick in this three-on-three draft, and it's very hard to make this decision, so I'm glad we are doing an extended five-on-five. For this, I am going with... The John Paxson slash Steve Kerr shot. What does that mean other than me getting to shoehorn in a Bulls reference? What that means (laughs) is that one of the coolest things about the NBA Finals is that you'll have these moments sometimes where a player who is not Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen or Steph Curry or Klay Thompson or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown hits a huge shot and becomes a part of NBA history forever. And that is what I'm looking for. I I want the Jonathan Kaminga shot or the Grant Williams shot. I want there to be a moment late in the game, potentially even a buzzer beater, where it comes down to a major player either missing and then someone gets a rebound and and puts it in or passing it out of a double team and someone gets their moment because that to me is the coolest thing. And I love that so much more than the opposite of that, which is like the Nick Anderson moment, which for people who don't know what I'm talking about is like when someone becomes a GOAT in not a good way, not greatest of all time, but like the scapegoat, For a team losing, Uh, what I'm referencing is Nick Anderson, who was on the Orlando Magic and in the NBA Finals missed four consecutive free throws. And he was like a 90% free throw shooter and kind of went down in NBA history as the person who did that and crumbled essentially. Uh, Like the next season, he shot like 40% from the free throw line because he was so rattled. So what I'm hoping for is the positive version of someone
1: getting a big moment in these finals. And, And I'm curious to see who it might be. That's really nice. I really like that pick. My final pick is, again, hoping for a narrative to change around someone who seems like a nice dude. And we've talked a lot about the Warriors, so I think it's only fair. I'm going to say, I hope Al Horford plays well. Love it. Al Horford has had a very long and very solid career. This is his first time being in the finals. He had set the record for most playoff games or most playoff wins without making the finals. So now that he has made it to the finals, that can be put to rest. But Al Horford is someone who, I don't know, for whatever reason, he gets signed to contracts by teams and then people think he's going to be the next coming of basketball Jesus. And he plays well, but not as well as people had hoped. So I feel like even though he's been pretty good his whole career, people have been constantly disappointed by him. And from what I've seen from the guy, seems like a perfectly nice dude and has still contributed to winning teams. And there have been multiple points in his career where people thought this dude is washed, it's over he's played really well for the Celtics. He was on the Celtics before he came back. I think if he plays really well, that would be nice. And it would just be, I think, good for him to kind of change this, this narrative around it. I, I basically, all my stuff is picking people who I think are nice and I want them to play well. So people will stop being mean to them.
0: <laughs> no, I, one of the things on my list that I have now cross off was just Al Horford getting a ring. Like yeah. I, I think he is, uh, seemingly a a wonderful human being, um, but also someone who's been very undervalued. And, and one of the things that you have to factor in is longevity. I mean, he is older than me, which for NBA standards is saying something. He will turn 36 mm-hmm. tomorrow as we record this. So... Uh, the, you know, basically as the NBA finals are happening, he's, he's turning 36 and he played on the championship teams at Florida with, uh, my old pal, Joe Kim Noah, who has been out of the league for years. Like Horford has been a very good NBA player for very long. He's been an all-star five times, I believe. And if you look at his overall numbers, yeah, they don't jump out. It's not like, oh, this guy's going to be a hall of famer, but averaging, I don't know, 14 points and eight rebounds for 15 plus years is no small feat. And he's not someone who's like in the tail end of his career, seemingly. I mean, we saw him dunk all over Jana Atetokounmpo in a previous series. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a big Al Horford guy, so I'm totally on board with you there.
1: Yeah, and I don't think he even needs to win a ring. I think just this playoff run has kind of cemented him similar to Jimmy Butler as a really important member of this particular Celtics team and a key to their success. So I think that he's at least won over some good graces there and a good performance in the finals would only further validate that. So that will complete our three-on-three draft of things we're looking forward to in the finals, but we are doing an extended five on five, an audio version of it, which we'll put up on the Patreon, patreon.com,
0: Horse Hoops. But I also think before we officially put a bow on this, it's only right that we give all of our listeners our official predictions. So what do you have?
1: I am going to say that the Warriors will win in six games. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I would say that I am rooting for the Warriors, but I am going with Celtics in seven. Ooh, okay, okay. And uh, yeah, and I I don't know if we want to commit to this, but uh, as long as you're up for it, I am down to uh, do our best to do a game-by-game recap in so much as you and I are available to
1: do so, which we will also put up on Patreon. Yeah, we did that last year. It was super fun. I would love to do it as long as our schedules allow for it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The music is by Bettina Campomanes. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The social media is by both the Horse Boys and the website is by Kelly Schubert.
0: Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Bird, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury. He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Long Suffering Timberwolves Fan, Roast Beef Debris, Kate the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Mikhail Loves Allison, Denver, Steamed Nuggets, Annabore Daily. Weird Questions, Chris Rossi, Mitch Chrysler. Steph Vindaloo for three bang. Dang. And Mono Ginobili Follow us on Instagram and Facebook At Horse Hoops and on Twitter At Horse
1: underscore Hoops because Horse Hoops had their foot on the line Out of bounds and you can't do that mm, Gotta take away the they, account But did they though? But did they? Mm. Hard to say <laughs>
0: Go to our website horsehoops.com For links to some of the fun stuff we talked about today Including Chris Red, Stephen A. Smith Impression, uh, some more Negative news about Liz Cambage And Brittany Griner and much much more
1: and if you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash horsehoops. You get access to bonus audio, bonus video, bonus text, the five on five that we're about to do for this episode, our final stuff, all that and more at patreon.com slash horsehoops. And we're going to close out this episode as we do every episode by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. What are we feeling?
0: You know what? I'm going to put it out into the universe. It's going to be a simple one. Close games. Yeah,
1: that's good. That's all I, I want. Like that. Close games on three. Close games on three. One, two, three three close Close games
0: games, please for the love of god close games